Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I am so glad that you could join me for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast episode 183. So this is a wild day. Oh my gosh, I've taken off the week from my nine to five so that I could be at home and try to get our house in order so that we can just live and live comfortably without clothes everywhere. I feel like the laundry has gotten away from me for... I don't know, guys, months, months. I'm finding things in laundry piles, like in different laundry baskets that I've somehow hid in different rooms from the winter, from the spring. Items of clothing that I love that I have not seen since there was snow on the ground. And there's about to be snow on the ground again. So, I mean, it's a good thing I'm pulling them all back out. But it has been wild, a busy week. And on top of that, we are going camping tomorrow. So I'm trying to get everything done in time for that. But I do want to shine a little bit of light on this camping trip we're doing. We've done it for the last three years. And it is just something that I look forward to so much. So I love camping. Grew up like in pop-up trailers, in tents. Not in them, but you know, doing that every summer for fun. And... This is, it's not quite like that because I don't think I want to go, you know, on my free time when we are supposed to be quote unquote relaxing. I don't think I want to go and pitch a tent and really rough it with the kids because on top of all the parenting you're going to have to do, that's just another layer of stress and things you have to watch out for. So we go to this place, it's called... I think it's called something like Long Point Eco Lodge or Long Point Eco Adventures. And we go with a group of friends and their kids. What you do is you book a tent. But these aren't like rinky-dink whatever tents where, you know, you feel the rain or it gets all dirty. These are full-on gorgeous safari tents that you walk into. Maybe you get the one with the king-size bed or the queens. We get one with two queen beds, right? So you go in. You get in this queen bed. There is a, we like to go this time of year because it's a little cool. There is a mattress warmer in the bed. It is the most comfortable bed on top of that. So like, I'm just looking forward to sleeping. The kids get their own bed. I think they'll share this year. I usually bring a crib. And there is like beyond the beds, you keep walking. There is a bathroom in your tent. You do not have to share an outhouse with other people, which is huge for me. I hate that part of tent camping. Um, so there's a bathroom, there's an outdoor shower, the toilet is not outside, it's like a part of your tent, but it is so luxurious, it is so nice and just so fun. So we go there with all our buddies, all their kids, there's a restaurant on site if you don't want to do fireplace cooking, although Shane and I do love cooking over the fire. And anyway, it's just become the most traditional thing for us to do this time of year and I love the idea of kind of starting new traditions it's so nice it's so much fun the kids really appreciate it and then it's kind of cool because we get the feel of camping without actually having to put up with that like I don't want to deal with you know a rainstorm in the middle of the night and me and the kids are in the tent and we don't have electricity and it's just It's madness. I don't want to do that. Maybe eventually when the kids are a little older, but right now, let me relax for the love of God. And I will take that relaxation in whatever form I can get it. So, I mean, we're taking them into nature. We're taking them, you know, 
out to be one with the trees, but we're doing it in a little luxury. And I don't even think, honestly, we paid for it like in February. So I don't remember how much it is, but I know it's not that much money. Like it's, you know, like staying in a hotel, but it's a very cool experience and highly recommend it. There's so many of these kinds of places around too. It's going to be a lot of fun and I'm really looking forward to it. But I mean, it's just another thing on my plate today, aside from getting through all this laundry, because I mean, last time I took time off to do this, Lucy went and had a seizure on me, which was not helpful. So we're doing this now. We got camping tomorrow and I had to take time off today to go for a pelvic floor appointment. And I mean, I said I had to take time off today, but I was delighted to because as you guys know, this is an ongoing issue. I need to get my pelvic floor fixed. So I'm now going in conjunction with my place at Blueberry Therapy, which I go to sometimes and love in Hamilton. If you're local, check it out. But I'm going to this place called Eurospot and not like Euro as in European. It's Euro as in urology, U-R-O spot. And I think there's a ton of them in Canada or, you know, a bunch anyway. And they have this thing. They call it the throne. I think the real word for it is Emsella chair. And it is essentially this big chair. And you sit on it for 28 minutes. And it delivers electromagnetic pulses into your pelvic floor. And essentially gives your pelvic floor, those muscles the equivalent of 11,000 Kegels in that 28 minutes. So we've talked about it on this. I actually had the founder of, or like the, one of the biggest um, pelvic floor physiotherapists in Canada, Sinead, Dr. Sinead Dufour. She's been on this podcast before and we talked about the Ansala chair and I was going to do it at that time. I think that was in 2021. I didn't have the chance, but I'm doing it now. I'm taking the time because my pelvic floor has not improved since 2021. And guys, I am so tired of having to hold my crotch whenever I sneeze. So we're doing this. So I sit on the chair for 28 minutes and it feels like I was trying to figure this out on my drive home. And when I was sitting on the chair, I was like, how do I describe this? But it feels like (laughs) you can feel the electromagnetic waves. Okay. So you feel them go into your pelvic floor and what they do, it's like they push up and then they push outwards. So it just feels like you're getting all these like shocks up and outwards and it doesn't hurt. The first time it happened, I was like, whoo. And it kind of gave me a shock. Like, I'm, I mean, it kind of felt good. It kind of felt weird. It kind of felt all these things. But then eventually, you know, as you you know what to expect, then you just kind of sit there and it happens um, and you just try to keep your body engaged and your back straight, your posture good. And you just sit there and, you know, I watch Seinfeld. They have a little TV in the room. They really want you to relax. And I have high hopes, you guys. I mean, there is no way that I'm feeling what I'm feeling on my pelvic floor when this thing is going and nothing's going to happen. Something is going to happen. Like, I really, really have high hopes for this. Um, I did already, but now after kind of sitting there and experiencing it, really got my fingers crossed. So I'm going to be sticking with my pelvic floor exercises in the meantime, like in between my appointments. And I mean, I'll be updating you. I'll let you know how it goes because I know there's a lot of listeners with pelvic floor issues. And I got to say, there are male listeners and this extends beyond female pelvic floor, guys, you can go 
And apparently, I mean, if somebody wants to volunteer and go do this, report back. But apparently, men who do this treatment on the chair, so you do like six sessions over three weeks, it helps with sexual health. It can help boost your libido. It can help men hold erections for a longer period of time. And it can help strengthen orgasms. So it's wild. Like the purported benefits are wild. And I'm dying to know if they have the same effect in men. um, Because apparently they do. So if anybody wants to volunteer with their experience, like, I mean, we'll get you on the pod. I want to hear about this. Anyway, so that's what I did today. So my pelvic floor and my like upper thighs are kind of feeling like jelly. I mean, like it's a good feeling. It feels like I just had a really good workout. Um, but yeah, that's happening. But I want to move on from all that. Just kind of little update because I will be talking about that quite a bit. But I came across, you know, for the second time in my life. It's not the first time I came across it. Uh, but it's a poem. It's called This Be the Verse by Philip Larkin. So the first time I was introduced to this poem, it was the very first day of my first course in university. It was an English literature class. And I think the professor, like he must use it every year just to kind of shock his students and be like, this ain't high school anymore, kids. You know, because it's got like swearing in the first sentence. And it had the desired effect. So I'm going to read you this poem. And then I want to dive deep into a little bit and talk about it a little bit. So again, this is This Be the Verse by Philip Larkin. They fuck you up, your mom and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the faults they had and add some extra just for you. But they were fucked up in their turn by fools in old style hats and coats who half the time were soppy stern and half at one another's throats. Man hands on misery to man. It deepens like a coastal shelf. Get out as early as you can and don't have any kids yourself. So I remember reading that. My professor read it aloud to everybody. And when he said the first part, they fuck you up, your mom and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. I just remember like a sea of faces, everybody in my English class kind of looking at each other and being like, whoa, because, you know, we're all out in the world kind of for the very first time on our own. Maybe kids are angsty. Maybe they're just like really loving the freedom and everybody's kind of like, yeah. Even, I mean, my parents didn't F me up (laughs) in any way, you know what I mean? But you're just, you're kind of feeding off of that energy from this poem. And now looking back on it with kids, I kind of get more meaning from it. And Again, this is this is what I want to talk about. So there are so many ways in which, you know, if you look back on childhood or even now as you're an adult, that your parents have, as Philip Larkin would put it, quote unquote, effed you up. Not all these ways are bad. So I'd suggest that this is just another way of saying, you know, they've imparted different things on you, your mom and dad. Sometimes they have really intended to and some things are imparted upon you which they did not intend to impart on you and I think back and it's like you know I wouldn't say my parents fucked me up in any way but I do think that maybe my dad imparted for thinking negative uh this kind of aloofness about me and you know this positivity that's there that you're kind of chasing no matter what even 
maybe when the circumstances don't call for it. And then I think my mom may have imparted, um, you know, a, a sensitivity that is not always appropriate for the situation. Maybe I get a little too sensitive sometimes when I shouldn't. And hi, mom, dad, by the way, they listen to this podcast. Don't worry. These are your faults. They're my faults. We share them together. But then they've also imparted really good traits on me. And even the traits that they gave me that I'm taking as negative, there are good aspects to those, right? It's how you look at it. And I mean, some people, maybe their parents imparted worse traits. Maybe their parents did, quote unquote, fuck them up, right? But then as a parent now, I'm kind of taking a look at all my traits and I'm thinking, okay, like no matter what I do... (laughs) And this goes for all of us, guys. All of our kids are going to be talking about us in therapy one day. There's no escaping it. And this is why, you know, we can't judge each other for our decisions because we're all going to be, you know, our names are going to be written down by that therapist pencil while our kids spill their guts out. But um, I was thinking of the ways in which, you know, the things that I want to impart on my kids and the ways in which... I, I guess, want to be cautious of effing them up, right? And and the, the things that are a part of me are a part of Shane that I don't want them to take on. And I mean, I could hardly see it in some ways. And I don't know if it's hereditary. I don't know if it's modeled. I don't know if it's just because who the kids are. But I mean, Betty is really needy, really clingy like me. And Lucy is a little bit snappy like Shane. And it's just all these these different things. You know, you see one kid being more anxious than the other kid or whatever. And it really does cause me to pause and kind of reevaluate how I'm getting messages across or how I'm talking to friends, my family members, Shane, the kids, whatever. And I mean no matter how conscious you're going to be of things, like I said, they're always going to end up talking about you in therapy. So there's going to be some way in which you fall short or in which they perceive you to fall short. But it made me, you know, really think about, I saw some people, it was a comment section on somebody's post, I forget who. And the commenters, so these are just like random internet moms, were saying, you know, oh, you, you shouldn't use your kid's for therapy. They're not there to be tools for your therapy. And I wholeheartedly agree. You don't have kids to help you sort through your problems. However, if you do have kids, if you're a parent and you are not constantly self-reflecting, then what the hell are you doing? I mean, we need to be constantly self-reflecting. I think that that is honestly, the foundation of a good parent or somebody who's trying to be a good parent. Because even if you think that you're making all the right decisions and you never take a step back to say, oh, did I say that correctly? Is that how I should have acted in that situation? Then I, I don't know. Do I double down and say that you're not as good of a parent as somebody who is doing those things? I don't know. But I do know that self-reflection is so important in any relationship, a marriage, a friendship, your relationship with your mom, your dad, with your kids, whatever. But if you're not self-reflecting, you aren't changing. You're not growing. And why would you ever want to stagnate? Why would you ever want to limit the ability to which you can perceive a situation, 
right? So I do think it is so important. And I don't know, this poem, I've been thinking about it all week, guys. Like I came across it on Sunday or Monday. I've just been thinking about it and that I've been seeing different things online and in real life that kind of bring me back to it. And it's just been so prevalent, like at the forethought of my mind. And it's so weird because, again, I think it's like a poem out there for maybe angsty people because it does end saying, oh, don't have any kids yourself. And I mean, if you Philip Larkin, I have <laughs> and many other people will because I think there are ways to you know, self-reflect, make yourself a better person and then make your kids kind of like an upgrade of what you were. And I think that that is just the new cycle that we can have to break trauma for some people, maybe to break bad habits in other families, whatever it is. And then we can start a cycle of growth and change and self-improvement and kind of positivity in a way. So I know it's not what he intended, but I'm like kind of coming out on the other end of that poem with, I don't know, with a positive feeling and I like it and I want to know what you guys think. Send me a DM, go read it, think about it for yourselves. Um, but I am curious to know, to know what you think of it. And, you know, it kind of came across again, because thinking about the ways in which, you know, my parents imparted certain things on me and one big thing was you know, for my mom, I think compassion and having empathy for other people. And I heard some kids, so picking up Lucy in the playground, I heard some kids calling another kid weird. And like, I don't think they were doing it in a malicious way, but they were saying it. And I have kids say this to me sometimes and, you know, oh, that person's weird or whatever. And my first thing that I jump to, the first thing I always say is, yeah, who isn't weird? We are all so weird that happens that's okay um and it just you know being weird among other kids can make you feel like such a pariah it can make you feel like such an outcast if other kids think you're weird I don't think I got comfortable with my weirdness until I was you know maybe a little bit in my teen years but then very much so in my late 20s and now in my 30s I am so comfortable in my weirdness and in other people's weirdness too. But I just think that if you have kids that are in school, it's good to be cognizant of how hurtful it can be to be on the receiving end of a word like that. And I think where we can start changing that perception is at home. And if we talk about our kids or, you know, if we talk to our kids about weirdness and being weird, we can kind of start implementing a positive change and creating in them the ability to be more kind and more accepting and we can fuck our kids up for the good and for the better (laughs) and that's a good place to start but I'm gonna end this part here and I'm gonna take you guys into the question segment the mailbag segment which I love so much but before I do that let me tell you who we are supported by We are supported by True Earth. And if you listen to our podcast, you know that Shane and I are on an ongoing mission to reduce our environmental footprints in ways that make sense for our life. So one way that we're doing this is by eliminating single-use plastics in our household. And it has been going so well. But we started small. We chose one thing in our house to say, okay, you know, let's start here. And that was, oddly, plastic laundry detergent jugs. Yeah, because we thought they were being recycled, but then we found out very few plastic jugs get recycled. Yeah, so we switched to True Earth laundry detergent. 
They come in these, you know, easy to rip soluble strips that you simply tear apart, toss in the washer. It is so easy. So fun to rip. It is. And the best part is that there's no plastic. And because the packaging is so compact, it has like without a word of a lie or without um, what is the thing where you stretch the truth? Whatever. No word of a lie. Hyperbolizing it. That's it. It it has changed. Are laundry room yes like how it looks it's just so much less junky and i have so many shelves available now i didn't think that was possible oh yeah before i uh i didn't know where to put my keys now (laughs) (laughs) now put them in the laundry room shelf no but everything's in there now i have the tools in there i have the old gift bags in there like i have so much room for storage the list goes on anyway you guys are gonna love it we usually go for the baby detergent because it's fragrance free gentle on everybody's skin and so tough on dirt Clothes come out smelling great, clean. What, what flavor do I like? Oh, you like the lilac, lilac breeze. breeze. Yeah, you what? like the like the the premium lilac Can, breeze. Do one. you call it a flavor? No, a scent. A scent. Because flavor would mean tasting. Unless you're doing that, you know, while I'd washing the sheets. I'd rather not say. <laughs> so check out True Earth Detergent at True.Earth and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 to get 10% off your order, and that will go to 10% off a one-time order or like even a year-long subscription. That is huge opportunity for saving. So again, that is True.Earth and this family tree 10 But we are also supported by... Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. And they believe in quality over quantity. And they make, like I'm, I'm telling you, the best basics that you can get for your clothes. I was looking at photographs with Betty tonight at bedtime, actually. It was really cute. And all of the sweetest pictures that would come up, the kids just happened to be wearing their mini miosh in them. And everything is just like neutral. It's flowy. The kids love it because it's all so comfortable. Yeah, it's it's timeless too. Oh my god. And you can pass them down from kid to kid. I mean, the stuff is just such great quality. Everything that Lucy wore, Betty has now is she's wearing or she's already gone through and we've already given half the stuff to other people we know. But honestly, quality schmolity, it's just easy to put on the kids. And that's what uh, as a young dad, that's what I liked. <laughs> just no, you're not messing around with a bunch of stuff. It was just can I get it on easily? Is it comfortable? It is it's just what I wanted as a young dad. I hear you, young. And young, uh, hot dad. <laughs> their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. Where's locally? What if like you're listening? Toronto. Yeah, but if you're listening to this in Africa. Well, I said that they're from Toronto. So they're oh, local okay. to Toronto, I gotcha. think, right? Gotcha. Uh, you just gotta have good ears. But they now have a women's collection too, which Shane and I were begging for for a long time. He was begging for a men's collection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wouldn't make sense. <laughs> we were just begging for adult clothes, but they did. I just they... want to see women in mini me. <laughs> but it's really great. Everything is simple. It's made of French terry. It's ethically and sustainably produced like all the mini miosh favorites. But check it out. The company is online at minimiosh.com or mini miosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you're getting 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and in US and it is one use per customer. One mm, use. use it wisely. Stack that card up. I would buy an item for mm. buy a cheap item. See if you like it. And if you do, then buy a lot and get the yeah. 10% off because you could potentially be saving a lot of money. No, it's a good plan, Shane. But check it out, minimiosh.com and this family tree 15. And now let's get into the mailbag segment. This is where you give me questions, give me topics on Instagram every Friday. 
and I address them in here. And I love this segment so much because I get to know you a little better. I get to know what you're thinking about, what you guys want to talk about. And I really like it because, guys, this is a lonely profession. Like, Shane's not here right now. He's at work. I am sitting in an empty house gesticulating, which means talking with my hands. I am talking very animatedly to literally nobody other than you, you beautiful, wonderful listeners. So it makes me feel less alone when you write in. And if you have never written in, start doing it. I want to hear from you. Anyhow, the first question. Do you think more men want change tables in men's room? Um, hell yes they do hell yes they do so this person was asking also about like if you know other countries other than certain european ones had change tables in men's dressing rooms in canada and in the u.s from my experience it, it, it i mean i think it should be mandated truly that you know of you know, an establishment of a certain size, if there's a certain amount of stalls, they need to put in a change table in men's rooms. I don't know if that's how it works for women's, but it certainly feels like it. But there absolutely needs to be. I remember, you know, we'd be out when, especially when the kids were babies. But even now, if we're out for dinner or something or out doing, you know, God knows what, I don't always want to go to the bathroom when the kids want to, or if Shane has to go to the bathroom and Lucy's like, hey, daddy, I need to go too. He'll take her instead of me. And if there's not a family one available, he'll bring her into a stall in the men's room. And when they were babies, it was so frustrating. You know, if I'm sitting there in the middle of a bite, maybe Shane is taking a break or a pause, or we're just trying to switch off and he's trying to help. And, you know, the kid will have crapped their pants, need to go get a change. Shane will say, hey, I got this. And he'll take them into the washroom, just trying to be a co-parent. And then he'll come out 30 seconds later. The kid's still in their crappy underwear diaper. And Shane will just have a defeated look being like, there's literally nowhere in there to change them. Not only is there not a change table, there's just, there's no clean spot anywhere. And it is so infuriating. And then I go into the women's washroom. Lo and behold, there's a change table. And it just, it would make me so infuriated because it just reinforces gender roles. It reinforces parenting roles. And it takes us a step away from, I think, what most people are trying to do, which is more equal co-parenting. So it's like they're literally forcing me then to get up and change my kid, even though my husband was already in the process of that. And I know establishments aren't necessarily thinking this, right? They're not like, oh yeah, we're going to install a change table and only the women's so that they have to disturb their meals and the husbands can sit and relax. Like they're not thinking that. And they're definitely not thinking of it in that voice. I'm sorry for that. But we need to start thinking of it. We need to start being considerate of that. And I mean, as people, I think as mothers and fathers, parents, whatever, we need to start asking for that because these places aren't going to know that we want that unless we ask for that. And I don't know the best way to do it. Is there a petition for the government to ensure that establishments put up these change tables in men's room? I don't know what it is, but there absolutely needs to be more of it because I don't see it enough. And it is so frustrating when you know, Shane is just trying to change a diaper and there's nowhere to do it. So glad both of my kids are essentially out of diapers now. 
So we see that problem less. But yeah, it's, it is infuriating. The next question, thoughts on bringing up a kid with religion. So this is complicated. And I think that there are going to be, you know, a million different viewpoints on this. And that's cool. And that's okay. But I'm going to speak from my experience and Shane's, even though he's not here, I know a little bit about his experience, but I was raised in the Catholic faith. My mom wasn't, she didn't grow up Catholic. She actually converted um, at the same time that I was growing up in the Catholic faith. So like when I had my first communion, my mom had her first communion and it was actually, it was pretty cute. My dad as a Polish guy was raised Catholic. And I mean, when I say raised Catholic, like it, it wasn't the focal point of our family. It wasn't, you know, we'd say prayers at big family dinners, um, but not when we were eating every night. We would go to church on some Sundays, not all of them. And, you know, we were more than just like the Christmas and Easter crowd. We weren't that, okay? We were going maybe once a month. But when I started getting a little older, you know, I was listening to a lot of like really political punk rock with my brother. And I was like, as anti-establishment as a 14-year-old kid could be yeah, like a 14 year old kid who grew up with all the luxuries and life and a loving family and everything so I was like the world's worst punk rocker but that aside I really did start questioning a lot of things like I started questioning institutions um the pay get this like as a 14 year old and this is before Barbie movie pussy hats all of that I was like questioning the patriarchy um and I mean thank God for political music. I think it was very cool. But I was also questioning religion a lot. And I was kind of at that point, like angry how anybody could grow up with religion and why anybody would do that to a kid. Because at that point, I was only seeing like so much bad has come from religion and continues to so much. I mean, look at all of the wars and everything from the history of the world. A lot of it has to do with beliefs. Um, so I went through a long period of, I don't know, not being sure about it. But even in that phase, like I remember going to uh, religion class, like in high school. And it, it didn't feel necessarily like religion class where we're sitting there and talking about Catholicism. We we're sitting there and like reflecting on what kind of people we were, what kind of people we wanted to be, how we could be the best neighbor, how we could be the best friend and be caring and contribute not only to our own success and growth, but like to the success and growth of our community, of the people in our community that really needed it, of marginalized people. And I really, I think honestly that it deepened the empathy of so many people in those classes with me. And now that I'm out of it, I'm I don't know. I'm really grateful for it. I'm grateful for the conversations that we had in that room. And like, I don't know if you, if you don't go to a Catholic school, you can correct me, but like, I don't think there's any course that is mandatory that does that. Like maybe you can take a philosophy class, but I bet that would be an elective. And I bet that might only be in grades 11 and 12. So this was kind of a way for like, I think you start 
in grade one, I guess. And every single year of from, you know, grade one to grade 12, you have a short time in your day where you're talking about how to be a better person. And that I think is so wonderful. Like, I think it's really wonderful. So what do you think about bringing up kids with religion? I think that you have to leave room for them to question things. And I think if kids are going to question things, you don't come down on them. You let them go through that journey. My parents never, you know, never cared or gave me a hard time. And they were really supportive of when I was like, ooh, I don't think I like this. Like, they were so supportive of that. And they let me research and find my way and everything. And I really appreciated that from them. And I think that's what I want to do. You know, my kids go to Catholic school, but if there's ever a time when they want to talk about it all and they don't like things, I'm down for that conversation. I'm happy to have that conversation because I understand, you know, every view that they could have on it. Um, So I, I think that if your kids are growing up with religion, regardless of what religion it is, and it's to just help, you know, that kind of holistic growth that we all want. I think that's an awesome thing. I think that's really good. And if you're growing up without that, that's an awesome thing. And that's really good. And there's so many ways that you can incorporate compassion and empathy and all of that into a household or into education, whether or not it's religious. But yeah, everything gets tainted by people. People are the worst and they're the best, but so often they're the worst. And I think that they're going to taint so many things, whether it's like completely secular not religious education or it's religious education, whatever. But yeah, I, I think it's cool. I had a good experience with it. And Shane, uh, he went to like Sunday school and stuff, but he's not religious and didn't really like, they didn't grow up with it, but he, for some reason went to Sunday school. Not really sure why, but (laughs) I don't think he liked that. Although I don't think that there was any harm in it either. Um, anyway, next question. Thinking back to no seatbelts, smoking while pregnant, baby sunlight cages. What do you think will be the thing that future generations will be shocked that we do? So, okay. Thinking back to all those things, like when you, I mean, if you're like my age, we all had that old weird uncle or something grandparent that had a car with no seatbelts because that's just how it was. And that does baffle my mind about how we were thrashing around in cars with no seatbelts. It's kind of hilarious. Smoking while pregnant. I know that was a thing, like drinking, whatever. And baby sunlight cages. Have you guys heard of these? Go research it right now if you haven't. They were cages, like in, you know, metropolitan areas like New York, Chicago, whatever. When people would live in apartment buildings, they would have these cages that would hang outside of your window, kind of like an air conditioner. And you'd put your freaking baby in it so that he'd get sunlight every day to get vitamin D. And these babies are just like crawling around 60 stories up outside in this rickety old cage. But people used to do this. It was a thing. It is wild. And we look back on these things and it seems crazy. It's like, how can you be so stupid to put a car, a kid in a car, not only without a, you know, booster seat or car seat, but without a seatbelt. Like, it is bizarre. I think I've even seen, like, baby hammocks from, like, the 40s 
Whereas you put this hammock type thing in your car and then your baby can go in it and get rocked to sleep. Like crazy stuff, you guys. But anyway, what do I think the thing is that we're doing now? I was thinking about this and like, it's tough because we do these things now because we don't necessarily know any better. So like everything we're doing right now, we're doing it because we think it's the best way to do things. However, if there's one thing I have to choose, I mean... I think we can, even though I give my kids screen time and device time, I think we can unanimously agree that that might be one of the things that we might look at and say, okay, maybe some device time is good, but like your kid is sitting there, you know, for three hours after school watching TV or on Instagram or whatever. Ooh, maybe it's social media. Maybe it's like we're going to realize how as kids grow up, like the social media generations grow up, we're going to realize how screwed up they are. And then it's going to be like, how did you ever let any kid under the age of 18 or under the age of you know 25 when your brain is fully developed, how did you ever let them have access to social media? Maybe that's it. I hope not. Like I hope people aren't going to be so screwed up that it's this huge realization. But maybe that's it. Because it is so bad. And it's like, we used to work with Dub on this podcast. So if you're a longtime listener, you know it's like eight out of 10 girls, you know, by the time they are, I think I think it's like eight years old, have altered themselves somehow online with a filter or whatever, Photoshop. And it's scary. So yeah, I'm standing by that answer. I think that could definitely be it. Uh, the next question. What is the number one problem in marriages? Okay, so let's all think about this. I researched it, by the way, but I want everybody to kind of formulate an answer in their head before I tell you. So what do you think the number one problem in marriages? If you said it was communication, you are correct. And think about it. Communication, a lack of communication leads to literally every other problem that there is in a marriage, right? Like think of money issues, parenting, uh, infidelity. Everything kind of starts with a lack of communication, right? Like, hey, babe, I'm not getting my needs, my needs met. And if you're not saying that, then maybe somebody, not saying it's right, maybe somebody goes and runs off with somebody else. So it's communication, which I didn't find shocking. I, I think that's the root cause of like, every issue between people. Um, And I looked up uh, the other most common causes of divorce. So according to several studies that I looked at, the four most common causes of divorce are number one, the lack of commitment. Number two, infidelity or extramarital affairs. And when I say commitment, that's not like you know, fidelity. That is committing time to your family, committing money to your family, to your kids, whatever, that kind of thing. Uh, Next, too much conflict and arguing, and then a lack of physical intimacy. And I mean, 70% of divorces are filed by women. That is a wild stat. Um, So I don't know. I don't know who is the main perpetrator in these marriages of a lack of communication, but it looks like women are the real unhappy ones. So yeah, doesn't surprise me. And it leads to everything else. So make sure your communication is on point. Obviously, it's never going to be perfect, but it's something that you can always be working at. And I'm a firm believer believer that if you are kind of always aware that it's something you need to work on, and you are always trying to get better, then even if it's never perfect, 
you're going to be okay, right? Because you know it's bad and you could be like, ooh, babe, I think we communicated terribly there. Can we try that again? Or whatever it is. Um, That's that. And our final question, I mean, Shane's not here to answer it, but it was belly button update. So I will say he showed me his belly button. I asked to see it yesterday, but he would not show me up close. He stood like 20 feet away and lifted up his shirt. But I mean, from 20 feet away in the semi-dark, it was looking great. He looked like it was normal. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how it looks up close. And when Shane is on with me next week, he can give you a proper update. But folks, thank you so much for hanging out with me for another solo episode. I know it's just me yammering on, but I really do. Like I envision people in my house just so I feel less alone, less crazy. Um, And I feel like I'm talking with my hands at you and I'm like pointing at things at you. So I hope you at least feel that when you're listening. But give us a comment. Give us a review. We would so appreciate it. And folks, thank you so much for listening to this Family Tree Podcast, episode 183.